number one, if you will. We're going to continue looking at the doctrine of the Godhead uh, today and next week and next and next. And uh, hope, I'm hoping to kind of wrap up some of this by Easter, which is the last Sunday of the month of March. So we've got to get going, okay? But uh, anyway, Paul, again, Titus chapter number one is where we were last time. Last time we looked at the issue that in 1 John 4 that God is love, but then also that God is life. And I want to pick up kind of where we left off last time in Titus 1, talking about life and moving through. And Paul uses the term Godhead and the issue of God, the Godhead is it's really a better term than Trinity. Now, Trinity, triune, the three, the three members that make up the Godhead, that community of God. And, and, and when you think about the community of God, there's three members that are God. They're individual. They, 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 they are independent individually, but yet they really don't do anything independent of each other. They literally, they work together. They have a common goal. One is not working independent of the other two. They really don't do much independent of themselves or by themselves or for themselves, but yet they are independent of each other. And we've been, look, we saw the roles that they have and so forth. And as we begin to see the three working together in perfect harmony and in a unison, you and I are, are, uh, given the privilege, the opportunity by the Godhead to come and live in that lifestyle as well. And Paul, Paul's one-anotherings, that's, by the way, that's Paul's love language. It's February, it's over, I guess, if, if, you know, for the uh, Valentine's Day. By the way, if you need a day on a calendar to be sweet on your sweetie, I don't know, there's something wrong with you, okay? <laughs> but the thing is, is, Paul's love language is that one anothering language. And that one anothering language comes right out of the, 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 the lifestyle of the Godhead. And the, 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 the three working in perfect harmony, perfect unison, to accomplish the goals of, the, of, of God. And in Titus 1, where we were last time at the end, we see that God has... A, a goal, a purpose, a plan regarding the redemption of a fallen humanity and providing redemption for a fallen humanity. Titus 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of, Christ, of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. And, and I said to you last time, the, peop, the only people there before the world began was God, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit. That's who was there. No one else. And by the way, the Word, 1 John 5, the Word, that's his original name, is the Word. <coughs> Excuse me. Gabriel tells Joseph, you will call his name Jesus. See, he wasn't Jesus back here. He's the Word. Now he's Jesus and Christ, Messiah, and Lord Jehovah. That's who he is and so forth. But so what did they do? They promised. They make a binding agreement to provide eternal life for what is to come, a fallen humanity. Now, if you think about, here's the Godhead. 
they know the future. <laughs> they knew you were coming. They know all of it. They have all the possibilities laid out in front of them. And yet they decided, they promised together. They come together and they, that binding agreement that we're going to work together to accomplish this purpose. And in looking into that, it takes all three to accomplish the plan of redemption. Come over to chapter 3 of Titus, where we were last time. It takes, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. And I know the list, the Bible list, the verses are long, and that's okay. There's nine areas that those verses are going to cover. We're going to look at them. And then we're going to draw a line when the hour is up, and then we'll pick up next week and finish out the, 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 the list. And the reason I gave you the whole list and nothing but the list is because I don't know how far we're going to get in the 45 minutes, okay? And then that's where we're going to I have a pen, and we're going to draw a line right there, okay? And we'll just do next week, all right? Because it takes all three to be involved, and you need to see this. You need to understand that these three, they have... Different roles, different areas of responsibility. 1 Corinthians 12, we started there three weeks ago, looking at the diversities, the administrations, the office, or the operations, and yet they're working in harmony. Verse 4, 3, 4, Titus 3, verse 4. But after the kindness, I'm sorry, but after that, the kindness and love of God, that's the Father, our Savior toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us, that's again, the Father, by the washing of the regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. All three are involved in your eternal life, verse 7, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Paul is, that, and that's going to take, that hope of eternal life takes us back to chapter 1, verse 2. It's not just one made the promise. It's rather this relationship of all three. All three, come over to John chapter 5. All three are going to bind themselves together to secure eternal life for humanity, for creation. And when you come to John chapter 5, and, and again, we looked at this last time about 1 John 4, God is love, and then this issue of light. When, when 1 John 4 says, here in his love, and he extended it toward us, he, he took his love, he extended his love towards humanity. True love needs an object. It, it doesn't, true love doesn't just stay put, it goes out, it manifests, it impacts, and then 1 John 4.19, we love him because he first loved us. Now it's extended to humanity, and humanity can then reciprocate and pay it back. Okay? John chapter 5 and verse number 25. 5.25, verily, verily, I say unto you, this is the Lord talking, the hour is come, and now is, and, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son 
of man. There, there. The life is only possible because God is life. And what did he do? He extends it. He makes it available. Chapter 14 and verse 6, the Lord says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 17, he taught, the Father says, I'm the life. Romans 8, verse 2, it's the spirit of life. It's the spirit, capital S, of life in Christ Jesus. So this issue of the life, all three are, are integral components and part and parcel for you and I to have eternal life made available to us. And therefore, when we trust Christ, the redemptive plan, then what are we given? God's justice comes in and imputes his life to us, therefore giving us eternal life. So when you think about this, uh, come over with me to uh, whoops, Galatians chapter number, I dropped my pen, Galatians chapter number four. So as we look here, we're going to look at some areas where the Godhead works together in accomplishing the plan of redemption for humanity. They're going to work together to secure life for man. And again, we need to kind of have in the back of our minds that division of labor, if you will, amongst the three. Now these areas, there's nine of them I'm going to give you. They're very basic. You can go and develop it out, and that's fine. But when we, where we're going to see, all three have bound themselves together to accomplish. The first area is the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second area is then in the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. The third area is the death and the suffering of Christ. The fourth area will be the resurrection of Christ. The fifth area is going to be the resurrection of the believer, ultimately. The sixth area is going to be the placement of the believer in the family, the household of God. The seventh area is that area of indwelling the believer. The eighth area is the securing the believer. And the ninth area is the sanctification of the believer. Okay? So we're just going to hit some verses real quick. There are tons of verses. I only give you a few. So the first area is the incarnation of Christ. Look with me at Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4 and verse 4. And just, th we're going to do Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the order, okay? Galatians 4 and verse number 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God... That's the Father, sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. What did the Father do? It's time, sends the Son. John chapter 6 and verse number, I, I'm going to, you should have a list. I'm going to go as quickly as I can, as I can turn, so you can keep up with the list. John 6 and verse 38, for I can do, I, for I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. The number of times the son will say, it's the father that sent me. In the God what, sent forth his son. So God is, the father plays a part in the son coming. 
His incarnation, being born of Mary, being born into humanity. Now look at Philippians chapter 2. So the Father, Galatians 4.4, John 6.38, is what? Sending the Son. Philippians 2, the Son himself does, does this. Philippians 2, verse 5 through 8. Now these verses we're going to spend some time in in a couple weeks, depending on how far we get today, because these verses are verses that get used to destroy the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ and to destroy the humanity of Christ because they use this little Greek word called kenosis and they say he emptied himself and they do all this mumbo-jumbo stuff and they, t- they say that your King James translators don't know what they're talking about, but yet they don't know what they're talking about when you look the word up and you study out what kenosis, the noun, means and does and demonstrates and puts on display. <laughs> And so we're going to spend some time uh, here and look at what the Son does. Verse uh, 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The Son, He chose to come. Not only does the Father send Him, but the Son Himself decided to come and to put on the form of a servant, to be made in the likeness of men, and then to be obedient unto death, but not just any death, the death of the cross. And it's very critical to see. Luke chapter number 1. Luke chapter 1. Here's the Holy Spirit and His activity. So it takes all three are playing a part. And by the way, their roles are clearly defined. There's no murky blend over. They're clearly defined. Luke 1 verse 35. And the angel said, and this is Gabriel talking to Mary, unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. And the power of the highest, that's the Father, shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And there's the Son. The holy thing, that's the body that the Lord is going to inhabit. That's the holy thing. We looked at that at Christmas time last year. What the Holy Spirit is going to, he's in, the Holy Ghost is involved as well. Actually, again, the verse has all three represented there. The Father sends him. The Son says, I'm going, and the Holy Ghost comes in and makes it happen. And that's what's happening here. So in that first category, in the incarnation of the Lord, all three play their role. Now, he's born. Come over to John chapter 14. John 14. He's born. He's, he, he's now on the earth. He's Messiah. He's working and that second category, the ministry of the Lord, the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? All three are actively involved. John chapter 14, John 14, the Lord is speaking, verse 10, but he gives credit to the Father. Uh, John 14, 10, believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? So, so obviously with the question, there are some believing that he was just a guy and the father wasn't in him. He's like, do you believe that? Now watch. 
The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. The Lord Jesus Christ credits the Father with actively working and being involved in his ministry that he's out doing. Chapter 8. Hold on to 14. Chapter chapter 8 of John. John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 27. John 8, 27. Then Jesus... Then said Jesus unto them, I'm sorry, uh, John 8, 27. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. I do nothing. He's working. He's actively moving and doing. And there's some other things going in there. He's actively working with who? With the Father. Now go back to John 14 and watch the Son say this about the Holy Spirit. 14.26. John 14.26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Now the Son credits not only the Father working, not only is he working himself, but also in conjunction with what the Father has taught him and spoke to him. But then he says the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's going to cause you to write. By the way, this is the preauthorization of the writing of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's going to write that. And he's going to remind you of everything. And so he's working with me. So in the earthly ministry, you've got all three working. By the way, Luke 4, verse 1, this is the passage of the temptation. It says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Who drug him out into the wilderness? The Holy Spirit did. Matthew says his spirit, a little less, him, he did too. He, he's doing and working in line with bo- all three members, their agreement of what? You're going to be born of a woman. You're going to come and you're going to have an earthly ministry. And the third category is the death. You're going to die. You're going to be buried and you're going to resurrect. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you get Romans 8, but on your way, stop in Romans 3. And watch the Apostle Paul. The information given to Paul is critical to understand what took place at the end of the four Gospels in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Paul shines a spotlight on all that and says, you see all that happen? This also is what that means. Verse 25. Whom God, that's the Father, hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. His blood, the Son's blood. By the way, there, verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath, notice, set forth. That set forth is a critical little two words. Not just, here He is, putting on, He set Him there. 
He's setting forth. He's the Father is credited with providing the Son as the sacrifice. He set him there. You understand that. You pull the turkey dinner out for Thanksgiving, and what do you do? You set it on the table to be eaten. You put it there for a reason. What did he put the Son here for? He did it for a reason. That's the redemption program, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, come over to chapter 8. Chapter, by the way, chapter 3 there, verse 25, to, the, uh, to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past and the forbearance of God. That's the Old Testament. To declare, I say, at this time, that's the but now, and his righteousness. How do we know what's going on? We need Paul. Boom, here it is. He sets it out. Now, look at Romans 8. And this is a fascinating verse here. In the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 8, look at verse 32. Romans 8, 32. He that spared not his own son. Verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, that's God the Father, who can be against us? He, Father, that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he, the Father, not with him, the Son, also freely give us all things? There's the setting forth of the Son. Who did, you know what Paul says? You know, who killed the Lord? Well, Rome did, the Gentiles. Israel does. You know who Paul says killed the Lord? God the Father killed the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that delivered him up. See how, I mean, that's strikingly, bam. You know, see, we like to blame man. Well, we did, we, we did accomplish the, de- you know, the deeds But whose plan to begin with it was it? It was God the Father, Titus 1-2. Very interesting how Paul says this. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is is, is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. The Father delivered him up. Now, go back to John Chapter 10, here's the son. And this one gets you to John chapter 10. So you've got in, in, in the incarnation, all three. In his earthly ministry, all three. And then in his death, the ultimate end of his earthly ministry, you have the issue of the father delivering up the son. Then in John 10, verse 18, notice what the son says. No man take, verse 17, Therefore doth my father love me, because I laid down my life that I might take it again. No man take it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. The son says, I do it. The father said, I did it. The son says, I can do it. And by the way, I am going to do it. You ever wonder why when the guys come into the garden and he just surrenders, they do not take him. He surrenders to them in the garden of Gethsemane. He looks at him and says, why did you come with such a big crowd? <laughs> I, was just in the, I was just in the synagogue with you yesterday. You could have easily taken me then. You don't need this. 
I love that. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. <laughs> Blows him down. <laughs> He's got the power. He's the one actively involved. Come over to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14. Hebrews 9 and verse 14. How are we doing? We doing okay? All right? Okay. How am I doing? Not so good. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hearts are pounding. No, I'm just kidding. Man, Hebrews 9, look at verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. Notice the Holy Spirit is what? Actively involved in the death of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered. He's right there. The Father is there, the Son is there, and the Holy Spirit is there, actively involved in his death. So if they're actively involved in his death, then number next, which is number four, they're actively involved in his what? His resurrection. Come back over to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. And I know we're going to kind of repeat a few verses here, but again, we're looking at them here. Romans 4, if you look at verse 24, Romans 4, verse 24, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. So who's the him that raised him up? Verse 20. He staggered not at the promise of God, that's God the Father, through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Verse 24, but for, us, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him, who? God the Father, that raised up the Son. So who's involved? Come over to chapter 6 of Romans. God the Father is, in, is, is involved. Romans 6 in verse number 4, Romans 6, verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. What raised up the Son? The glory of the Father did. The plan did. He did. Father actively involved, resurrects him. Now, come over to John chapter 2 and see the Son. John chapter 2. Now, again, John 10, 18, we looked at it a minute ago. What did he say? I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to raise it up, lift it up. Okay, so the sun there. But look at John 2, because this passage gets overlooked in a lot of the conversation in uh, the study of the, uh, the Gospels. 2.19. By the way, this passage gets used at his trial and they misquote it, and they don't understand it. 2.19, Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of what? His body. See, Jesus Christ said, I'm going to raise myself up in three days. They think he's talking about the structure He's not. He's talking about himself. Now, come over to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3. 
1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter 3, verse 18. 1 Peter 3, verse 18. So again, you've got the three actively working. By the way, if one takes a day off, none of this gets done. There's no mulligan. There's no vacation day. It's all three or it doesn't happen. That's the harmony. That's the working together. 318. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, there's the Father, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the who? The Spirit. Isn't that interesting? The Spirit actively involved. He gets credit of resurrecting the Savior just as much as the Father does and just as much as the Son does. The credit is there. So just if you and I, Romans 6, we have the newness of life given to us, then the same that the three are involved in the resurrection of the the Savior, they're also going to be involved in number five, the resurrection of the believer. Look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So again, I... I want you, and I'm doing this for not to bore you or not to take up a Sunday morning where you could go watch NASCAR racing, okay, or baseball or whatever. I'm doing this so that you see the three working together and they're not doing anything independent of each other, okay? Because when we get over here in a couple Sunday studies and we begin to see the Lord and his language that he's going to use. That's dependent upon you understanding this, tri- this unity, this harmony in this lifestyle, this community of God. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 14. Knowing that he was ra- which he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. Well, who is the he which raised up Jesus? There's the Father, and He's going to do what with you? Same thing. He's going to raise you up too. And he's, there's this whole activity. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 14. Here's the Son. And God, which both raised up the Lord... And will also raise up us by his own power. There's the Father resurrecting who? Both the Son and us. See that? Okay, so the Father is involved. Now, come over to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And I'm going to do this out of John. You and I, if you go read 1 Thessalonians 4, you know that the resurrection happens with the Lord himself descends and shout and all that, and we meet him in the air, okay? But I want you to see something in John 5 here and in John 6, what the Lord tells the little flock, what the Lord tells that believing remnant in Israel. John 5 and verse 21. For as the Father raises up the dead and quickeneth them... Even so, the Son quickeneth whom he will. Now, he's talking to the little flock, the believing remnant. 
And you know what he just said? I'm going to resurrect you because you are in me and I am in you. Chapter 6 and verse 40. Chapter 6 and verse 40. And this is the will of him that sent me. All right, so who sent him? The Father. Here's the will of the Father. That everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. There's Titus 1, 2 being fulfilled in time in the nation of Israel in his earthly ministry. And I will raise him up at the last day. Isn't that interesting? When is their resurrection? It isn't in the moment. It's when? The last day going into that kingdom. But what the son is doing is he's saying, look, the will of the father is that I raise you guys up, you believing remnant, you little flock, what we later learn in the book of the Revelation, the overcomer, into the kingdom. That's where we're going. Okay? Now, come over to Romans 8. Romans chapter 8. And here's the Holy Spirit. And this just is fantastic. Romans 8. Because there is so much... I call it nonsense that's taught about this passage, and we miss it, some of this. Romans 8. How are we doing? You doing okay? All right. Romans 8. We'll start in verse 11. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Do you see all three members of the Godhead in that verse? Working about your resurrection, they dwell in you. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit. Verse 13. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Abba, Father cry is not a cry of a baby. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he cried, that was a 33-year-old man. He's not a child. That cry is a cry of an adult son understanding the work and the will and the work of the father and the father's wishes and what the father's requiring him to do or asking him to participate in. And then he willingly goes and does what the will of the father is. That's what you and I do every time. We come to understand what God the God is doing today in the church, the body of Christ, and who we are in Christ, and the riches that we have in Him. And then we say, you know what? I'm going to go do that. I like that. I delight in doing that. And He says, well done, my son, adult son. Now keep reading. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs. With Christ, if, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. I, I, I go back up to verse 15. I missed where I was headed. But ye, I got to preaching instead of paying attention. But ye have received the spirit of what? The spirit of adoption. See that? Spirit of adoption. That's what, adoption, that's that adults issue. But drop down to verse 23. Because look in the context how adoption is defined for you. 
And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption. All right, well, what is it? To wit, the what? The redemption of our body. When do we get our new bodies? Not at the moment of death, but at the moment of resurrection. So the Spirit plays an integral part in your resurrection. And because of that, that integral part played by the Godhead, then all three then also, point number six, play an integral part in the placement of the believer into the family of God, in the household of God. Come over to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Um, Ephesians chapter 3. When I taught this on the men's fellowship uh, back last year, we went through this. We were getting to this point at about hour number two. <laughs> we, were, we were in our starting our second hour by the time we got here because I went a little slower than what I'm doing with you guys and a lot more verses, okay? But I, I, just, I, I just want to get you to get the idea, get the feel. Ephesians chapter 3. Notice, if you will, verse 14. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is what? Is named. The Father is involved in naming the family. Whose earth? The house of Israel. The house of Judah. Who are you and I? We're the household, aren't we? We're the church, the body of Christ. We're his body. Who, 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 who named that? The God the Father did. Come over to chapter 2 of Ephesians. Chapter 2. You come down in verse 19. Now therefore, therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners. So we're no more in that category of verse 11 and 12 but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Isn't that interesting? You know what the Father calls you? Saint. You're a saint, and you're a member of the household of God. Look down at verse 22. In whom ye, who's the ye? The church, the corporate entity also are builded together for a habitation of God through who? Through the Spirit. Verse 18, For through Him we both have access by faith. Nope. By what? By one Spirit unto the Father. By the way, by faith is Romans 5. Notice verse 18 carefully. Notice who we're talking We're talking about all three members here. We're talking about all three. What are we doing? For through him, who? Jesus Christ, the one that has broken down the middle wall or partition. Verse 13, the one who's in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes are far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. We broke down the middle wall or partition. He's, in, he's abolished the enmity of the commandments between us. He's taking one and he's taking the Jew and the Gentile and making one new man now, one body. And you know what? It's through him we both have access. How are we getting in there? By the Spirit, under the Father. You and I have the privilege by faith, by his grace, to walk right into the throne room of the Father and say, how you doing, 
Pops, what's up? What you doing? Now, I didn't say that to be disingenuous or disrespectful, but it's, that fami- it's the household. How, what do you call your dad when you, see? How do you, what do you, how do you talk to your family? It's the same thing. You can literally walk in through the riches of, his, of the wisdom and knowledge and understanding revealed to us and say, here's what's going on. Here's what's happening. Right on and access it. And you understand what that access is. You access your phone. You put it up there. It looks at your face and says, oh, another face, please. You know, or it's okay. It's, we got 10 minutes. Calm down, you know. Or you right swipe it and put in your code or whatever. What do you You access it. You gain access to the information. So he's involved in placing the believer in the, all three are involved in placing the believer into the family. That being said, then all three indwell you. That's number seven. You're in Ephesians. Come over to chapter four. Ephesians chapter four. Verse three, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now, here it is. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Who's living in you? Who indwells you? God the Father does. Galatians 2 and verse 20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet what? Not I, but Christ liveth in me. Who's living in you too? Christ is. Okay? In the life which I now live, I live by the faith of, of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for Who's in you? The Father lives in you, dwells in you. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. The Son, Christ, lives in you. Colossians 1 verse 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ who? He's where? He's in you. So who's taken up residence? Christ has. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3. Here's the Holy Spirit. By the way, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, you are sealed with who? With the Holy Spirit of promise. Who who sealed you with the Holy Spirit of promise? The Father does. So there's an interaction there. Because you're in Christ, Ephesians 1 verse 3, we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly place in Christ. The Father's doing this. He's using Christ to accomplish and he's using the Holy Spirit to accomplish some things. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of who? Of God. And that the Spirit of God dwelleth where? Who lives in you, folks? The Godhead does. So when you come over here and you do your little thing, who's right there with you? The Godhead is. Might slow some of your activity down. He indwells, they indwell the believer. They also secure the believer, number number eight. Now you're in 1 Corinthians, come over to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, and we'll see it here. 
Romans chapter 8. You guys okay? All right, we've got five minutes to do two. We're pushing through, right? Look at Romans 8. We may be a little over, but you're, you're on my side today. So, Romans 8, look at verse 39. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see the love of God? Who's that? That's the Father. The one, verse 31 and 32, that spared not his son, that does, did this to... Nothing's going to move us from the love of God, the Father. Nothing you can do will separate us from him. And he says that. Nothing you can do can separate you. Now look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? There's the Son. Guess what? There's nothing you can, no one can separate us from the love of Christ. Ephesians 1.13, we're sealed with the Spirit. Sealed, secure. Nothing can remove us from the Godhead. We are His. That's why Ephesians says, His inheritance in the saints. <laughs> we're His. Nothing can move us away. Nothing can do that. And then the last issue is the work of sanctification in the believer's life. Now, I do this. Come over to Jude, Jude chapter 1, and verse 1. And I know that Jude is little flock, but it's useful to see this. And we've been all over the book this morning, in the, okay? But look at Jude 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Doesn't that help you to know who Jude is? That's wonderful. Everybody, who's Jude? How about he's the brother of James? So now we go find James, and we find Jude. So, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Do you see that? Well, that little flock is sanctified by who? God the Father. Who are you and I sanctified by? God the Father. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 11. Hebrews 2.11. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So who's the he? Well, verse 9. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in the bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering for both he that sanctify and they who are sanctified. I'm sorry, both he that sanctifieth. See how the son is credited for sanctifying the believing remnant? Come over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And in this verse 11, all three are listed for you and I. But we see the Spirit, that's the one we're looking at. 1 Corinthians 6, 11. And such were some of you. 
but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. There they are. Who are you sanctified by? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. All three. You were that. You're not that anymore. You're justified, but now you're sanctified. You're set apart. What I want you to see, all three. God made a promise, and it takes all three coming together, working in harmony with that ultimate design, with the ultimate goal, the ultimate purpose to do something for humanity. It takes all three engaged in every step of redemption of his incarnation, his life ministry, his death, his burial, his resurrection, then our resurrection, our redemption. They extended their life. They extend their life, eternal life, to a lost humanity. They did it. They invite humanity to share in their life. By the way, what is their life? Eternal life. That's their life. That thing in John, they will know eternal life. How will they know eternal life? They'll get to know you, Father. They They understand that. They invite you and I to share in it, to participate in it. They made a promise and they did all the work. And then they freely extended it to all of humanity as a free gift. That's why God doesn't, that's why God can't accept any work on your part in your redemption. Because it wasn't part of the plan. Part of the plan was we're going to do it. Now, we just looked at nine areas. There's a good 15 or 80 or more if you want to. We're not going to look at them. We got through it. Amazing. Testimony right from the peanut gallery. All three. So if all three play the part, then when we come into Scripture... All three are the ones glorified. Even though we have one, the Son, that takes the prominent role. Colossians 2, he is the Godhead bodily. Now he takes the prominent role in the plan. We'll we'll begin to look at this next week. But he does it not on his own doing, but he's doing it in harmony with the other two members to work together. Okay? And we'll spend a great deal of time in Philippians 2 moving forward, all right? Because there's a lot in that passage that our apostle gives us about the Godhead. Okay, dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the tremendous testimony concerning you guys, the Godhead, that we can study it, we can look into it, we can believe it, we can research it, we can fall in love with you as much as you loved us. And we can then understand why God the Father loves His Son so deeply. And the Son loves the Father so deeply. And the Spirit loves all so deeply. And then we can take that into our lives and reciprocate that to you. In our meek and beggarly element that we're in. But at the same time do it understanding 
the love that you had for all of humanity. In your name we pray, amen.